0: Welcome to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. I'm glad you found us. My name is Tony Piles, and I'm the pastor here. I pray this recording brings you encouragement and growth in Christ, and we would love for you to join us in person anytime you are in town. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for our current schedule of worship and Bible studies. And may God bring you blessing through what you're about to hear. Thank you.
1: For the reading of the passage, our text this morning is Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. Hear now God's word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. Lord God, would you open our eyes this morning that we might behold wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an odd place to stop, in a sense, but the Sermon on the Mount is is one sermon, right? So if we start into chapter 5, we may as well go to the end of chapter 7. I'm not going to make you all stand up that long. But also, right, if we're going to take a shorter piece, perhaps we would start here, but then we want to run all the way to the end of the Beatitudes in verse 11. But there's something here in these first two verses that set them apart as something like a preface to the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's the question before us this morning. How does the preface to the Sermon on the Mount, these first two verses, offer controls for us in how we interpret or how we make sense of what Jesus says? Says over the next three chapters. So, with that in mind, let's dive in verses one and two of Matthew chapter five. The first thing we see as Jesus sees the crowds is that Jesus teaches for the world. What he's about to say, Jesus speaks in the hearing of crowds. Throughout his ministry, the the majority of Jesus' teaching is public, preaching and teaching in the temple, performing signs and wonders in the presence of multitudes. This is all the more true now that the Gospels have been written and then published abroad. We have For accounts like Matthew's, so that now even the things Jesus taught his disciples in private are published for all the world to read. Jesus taught for the world. This is just our first point, but there are three observations that I think follow from that. First is that Jesus' will is revealed, not secret. There are religions abroad which thrive on secret doctrines known only to insiders. This was true in Jesus' time. It's true now. You might think of the hush-hush the nature of Scientology, for instance, or of secret ceremonies in the Mormon temple whose details are not supposed to be known or shared with outsiders. But Jesus' teaching is not like this. His will for his people is publicly proclaimed. It's published abroad. Does a man want to know what Jesus desires of his followers? Let him read the New Testament. Is a reporter curious about what it means to be a Christian? About what the church's public life should be? Look like. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus' will is is not some secret possession of his people that is hidden away, that we have to pry into. No, it's something publicly taught, recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and then published in a book for all. To read His teaching is public, revealed, not secret, but it's also the wisdom of God on full display in front of these crowds. Jesus teaches for the world and the public nature of that proclamation holds up God's wisdom for all to see and marvel at. Consider what Moses said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4. He said, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? In Deuteronomy 4 Moses is speaking to the children of Israel of a law that God gave them through Moses and what will happen in the eyes of their neighbors as they see that law on display in the lives of God's people. But here not only do the crowds excuse me sorry not only do the crowds have the opportunity to see the Lord's will at work in the lives of his people, they have the opportunity to hear his voice for themselves as he addresses them. They don't have to wait upon the obedience of God's children to behold God's wisdom in the words of Jesus. We might think in this light of the wealth of reflection on The Sermon on the Mount, its beauty, its wisdom, its loftiness from pagan philosophers from outside the church. Something we'll return to from another angle in a moment. But truly, this is a righteous and glorious word that Jesus gives to his people as he teaches in public. But if his teaching is for the world, in front of their eyes, in their hearing, that places a burden on us. There's an onus on God's people to follow Jesus faithfully. The revealed, public, widely published, on display nature of Jesus' teaching comes with an edge. The world gets to hear Jesus' instructions to his followers. so They have an idea of what's expected of us. So they can spot, when we fail, to follow Jesus faithfully. The same feature of Jesus' teaching that displays the wisdom of God can also often highlight our failures our inadequacies, our deep, deep need for his grace and forgiveness. Let this be an encouragement to us to be diligent in pursuing holiness, that we may bring glory and honor to the Lord with our lives. And when the public nature of that teaching shines a light on your failure, remember that the same Jesus who taught publicly also welcomed his disciples and offered them grace and forgiveness. We'll have more to say on that in a moment, but hold those things together. It is so important. Jesus teaches for the world, but Jesus also teaches his disciples here. Jesus teaches in the hearing of a crowd, but Matthew notes that his teaching is expressly aimed at his disciples. His disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. He speaks in what follows to those who already follow him. This is important to dwell on, especially in light of the challenge that his public teaching lays on us. It follows from this, as we see this in these two verses, Jesus welcomes his followers. Jesus doesn't stand aloof from his disciples here. He doesn't make them feel like outsiders. Some of them he has directly and personally summoned to follow him. Others have been wooed by his ministry, called more subtly by the Holy Spirit. But as they gather around him here to listen to his voice, none of them are pushed away. Honestly, this can be really hard for us to wrap our heads around. Most of us know what it's like to be on the outside. On the outside of the cool kids. On the outside of the business network. On the outside of a community, even if we've been there for decades. On the outside of a congregation. There are places in our society where you need a way in. You need to be somebody or know somebody or you will always be on the fringes. Never truly someone who belongs. Sometimes we fear that Jesus will treat us this way. Sometimes to our shame. We treat other people in the church this way. But as Jesus sits down to teach, his disciples come to him. And he teaches them. There's no shuffling. There's no sorting at the door. No working out who gets in and who gets pushed to the cheap seats. Or shown their way out. Some people have even reflected on the topography of where Jesus may be at this moment and suggested that he's he's chosen some kind of natural amphitheater to ensure that he can be heard by a larger crowd. However that may be, the welcome we see here squares with what Jesus says expressly in John 6. He says in verse 37 of John chapter 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And all who come to him here, he teaches. Jesus reveals his will for his people as he teaches his disciples. He doesn't just welcome them. He teaches them. We've already discussed from one angle the importance of this public nature of Jesus' teaching. It's it's not secret. It's revealed. Though Jesus will share some things with the twelve that are only made known to the church broadly at a later time, he offers his teaching to all of his disciples. When they come to him on the mountainside, he does not send them away, but declares his will to them. He doesn't offer them different tiers of discipleship with a a bronze plan for everyone, a silver plan for $24.99 a month, and a special platinum plan for his secret followers. And he doesn't leave us in the dark about what he desires from us, hoping we can figure it out on our own. He reveals his will to his people as he welcomes them all. And at this juncture, it's important to make note of a feature of Jesus' teaching that corresponds with Paul's letters and the way he writes to the churches. Because in teaching those who are already his followers in these next chapters, Jesus bids us to live in light of who we are. Not do certain things in order to become something we are not. As we ponder Jesus' teaching, we must remember this. He's not... Gatekeeping here. This is not the impossible freshman class in the selective program designed to weed out the students who can't cut it. This is Jesus speaking to those who already are his disciples, who have felt his call, have been brought to him by the Holy Spirit, who are being formed into his image. He is instructing us to live in light of who we are as his disciples. He's not laying down entrance requirements, prerequisites that we must first meet in order to enter Galilee University. Be who you are, not do this in order to become something you are not. Jesus teaches for the world. Jesus teaches his disciples. Jesus also teaches with authority. Many people seem to be impressed by the moral and ethical teaching of Jesus over these next three chapters. There are few who, when asked, would not have something positive to say about the Sermon on the Mount, even though they will probably follow that up with some snark about our ability or inability to live up to Jesus' demands. But these people often fail to pay attention. Because Jesus doesn't sit down on the mountainside and open his mouth to teach, offering some alternative way of looking at the world or some suggestions to help you live a happy and fruitful life. We treat his teaching that way. We, we treat it like a buffet. I'll have the prime rib. I'll have the fresh rolls, extra potatoes and gravy. But no thank you to the green beans or the sweet potatoes. But two plates of dessert. Thank you very much. Jesus doesn't give us this option. As he opens his mouth, as he teaches with authority, he does not come with advice. But he commands our all. We've seen along the way several ways Matthew has crafted his telling us the story of Jesus to remind us of Moses. To remind us of Israel as they've made their way out of Egypt and into the promised land. Jesus now begins to teach, reminding us of Moses all the more as he sits down on the mountain. And gives a new teaching. If we step back from the Gospel of Matthew as a whole, we actually find that he divides Jesus' teaching into five major chunks, reminding us of the five books of the law. But there's an interesting feature if we have that in our mind and we see what happens here. Jesus sits down on the mountain and he opens his mouth. He teaches. He doesn't go up to the mountain as God's secretary inscribing the words of the Lord into stone and then bringing that back down to the people. He sits on the mountain not as an intermediary but as one who speaks the words of Of God. Jesus does not have the authority of one who mediates someone else's teaching. Rather, he speaks with the authority of one who can proclaim his own law. We don't have here the words of a life coach. We don't have even the the mediated words of another. We have God himself speaking directly to his disciples and to us. We must take all that follows in that light with all the weight that that gives to what Jesus says. But that's also an encouragement to us. As we seek to follow what Jesus provides for us, that we might live well, that we might grow in grace, that we might walk in a way that looks like our Savior. That's going to look weird to the world. At different moments, that's going to look weak. That's going to look strange. It's going to look like we're just odd. But when we walk in light of Jesus' commands over these next chapters, we can know, even as we strive and fail, even as we work and pursue after what Jesus requires of us, as the Lord works things in our hearts, and the world watches and cocks their eyebrow. We know that we're following in Jesus' authority. We're following one who offers not suggestions, but speaks the word of God. We need not fear whether we've missed the mark. When our obedience to Christ looks foolish in the eyes of the world. Because we know that we're following our Lord and Savior. So as we approach these next chapters, reflect on these things. Reflect on the the public nature of Jesus' teaching. That he reveals his will to his people in the sight of the world. That he bids us walk in obedience because of who he has made us to be. That he would mold us more and more into the image of himself. That he has made known, not kept secret, but made known to us what he would have us be, what he would have us do. That he has done that before the eyes of the world, that they might see his wisdom. That though they mock, yet they hear the voice of authority that gives these commands. And know that we may walk after him. Free from the concern of what it would mean in the eyes of the world. Because we're walking after Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that we might approach not just the Sermon on the Mount. But all of your word in light of these things that Matthew has reminded us of this morning. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have made known your law to us. Your requirement of us is not a secret. That you have been pleased to give to us your word to preserve it for us that we might possess in our own home, perhaps even in our own pocket, instant access. Lord, we confess that we often seek your will by other means. We pray that you would gently remind us of our unprecedented access to your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness to walk in obedience, despising the shame that the world would heap upon us as we do so. We pray as we grow in obedience, as you work more and more in us, that we would come to look more and more like Jesus. That as we grow in grace, he would receive the honor and the glory. We ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for more teaching and for our current schedule of events if you'd like to drop in. We pray this recording has been a blessing to you. Go in peace.